Chapter 19 of Monica. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Monica by Evelyn Everett Green In Scotland An empty sky and a world of heather such was the scene that met Monica's eye as she stepped out into the clear morning sunshine and gazed over the wide expanse of moorland that lay in a kind of purple glory all around her. Randolph's shooting-box was situated in a very lonely yet wonderfully picturesque spot. It seemed as if it had just been dropped down upon its little craggy eminence amid this rolling sea of billowy heather, and had anchored itself there without more ado. There was no attempt at park or garden or enclosed ground of any kind. The moor itself was park and garden in one. And the heather and gorse grew right up to the wide terrace walk upon which the south windows of the little house opened. A plantation of pine and fir behind gave protection from the winter winds and shade from the summer sun. But save for this little wood, an oasis in a blooming desert, the moor stretched away in its wild freedom on every hand, the white road alone, glimpses of which could be seen here and there, seeming to connect it with the great world beyond. Trevlin was lonely and isolated enough, but it almost seemed to Monica, as she gazed over the sunny moorland that glorious summer morning, as if she had never been so utterly remote from the abode of man as she was today. There was a step behind her, and a hand was laid upon her shoulder. Well, Monica? She turned to him with lips that quivered as they smiled. It's all so exquisite, Randolph's, so perfect. You did not tell me half. You like it, my Monica? Like it? It seems as if you and I were just alone in the world together. He bent his head and touched her brow with his lips. And that contents you, Monica? She looked up with eloquent eyes. Need you ask that question now? His smile expressed an unspeakable happiness. He put his arm around her, saying softly, There are some questions one never tires of hearing answered, sweet wife. Ah, Monica, when I think of the past, I feel as if it were almost necessary to have lived through that, to know what such happiness as ours can be. It is the former doubt that makes the present certainty so unutterably sweet. Do you ever feel that yourself, my darling? He spoke gravely and gently as they stood together in the golden sunshine. She looked up into his face with deep love and reverence, yet he felt her slight form quiver in his clasp. He looked at her smilingly. What is it, Monica? Nothing. Only a strange feeling I have sometimes. I know what you mean, Randolph. You are quite, quite right. Only do not let us today think of the sorrow that went before. Let us be happy with one another. We will, my Monica. You are quite right. This is our bridal holiday, of which circumstances cheated us at the outset, and as such we will enjoy it. Come in to breakfast now, and then we will have the horses out and you and I will explore a new world together and forget there is any other before or behind us. The shadow fled from Monica's brow, 
the happy light came back to her eyes, came back and took up its abode there as if never to depart again. What happy, happy days were those that followed! No one invaded the solitude which was such bliss to the two who had sought it. No foot crossed the threshold of the peaceful home that Randolph had made ready with such care for the reception of his bride. And yet, as everything must end at last, pleasure as well as pain, joy as well as sorrow, a day came at last when it was needful to leave this happy seclusion and mingle once again with the busier stream of life that flowed onwards, ever onwards, outside the walls of their retreat. Engagements had been made before, pledges given to various friends that visits should be paid during that period so dear to the heart of man, the shooting season. Little enough did Randolph care for sport in his present mood. Far rather would he have spent longer time alone with his wife in happy isolation. But his friends became urgent, letters persecuted them with increasing vehemence, and Monica, casting away her first reluctance, roused herself to say at last that she thought they ought to go. "'We shall be together still, Randolph,' she said with a little laugh. "'It is not as if we should not have one another.' No one can separate us now, and we ought to be able to be happy anywhere together. And yet, when the time came, it was very hard to go. Randolph came upon Monica the last evening at sunset, watching the glorious pageantry of the sky, with something of the old wistfulness upon her face. You're sorry to be leaving then, Monica. She started and turned to him, almost as if for protection, Yes, I am. Sorry. We have been so very, very happy here. Randolph, is it very foolish? Sometimes I feel as if such happiness were too great for this world, as if it could not go on always so. It seems almost too beautiful, too perfect. Do you ever feel the same? I know what you mean, sweet wife. Yet I am not afraid of our happiness or of the future. It is love that brings the brightness with it, and I think nothing now can change our love. Ah, no, no, she cried impetuously. Nothing can change that. You always understand. Randolph, you are so strong, so good, so patient. Ah, what should I do without you now? You have not got to do without me, Monica. A husband cannot be set aside by anyone or anything. You must not let nervous fears get the better of you. Tell me, is anything troubling you tonight? No, no, only that the old feeling will sometimes come back. It is foolish, I know, but I cannot quite rid myself of it. The old feeling? Yes, that some trouble is coming upon me, upon us. I cannot explain, but I feel it sometimes. I feel as if it were coming nearer. He did not laugh at her fears. He only said very gently and tenderly, I pray, God, my sweet wife, that trouble may be very far away from you. Yet if it comes, I know it will be bravely, nobly born, and that the furnace of sorrow will only bring out the gold more bright and pure than ever. She glanced at him, and then over the purple moorlands and into the glorious western sky. A look of deep, settled purpose shone out of her eyes, and her face grew calm and resolute. She thought of that moment often in days to come, and of her husband's words. It was a recollection always fraught with much of strengthening comfort. 
the round of inevitable visits to be paid proved less irksome than Monica had anticipated. Randolph's friends were pleasant, well-bred people with whom it was easy to get on, and to make things more easy for Monica, Beatrice Wentworth and her brother were not unfrequently numbered among the house party they were invited to meet. Both the young Earl and his sister were devoted to Monica, and their presence added much to her enjoyment of the different visits that they paid together. Lord Haddon was her constant attendant whenever her husband could not be with her, and his frank boyish homage was accepted in the spirit in which it was offered. Monica, though much admired and liked, was not popular in the ordinary sense of the term. She did not attract round her a crowd of amused admirers, as Beatrice did, and most young men, however much they might admire her stately beauty, found her somewhat difficult to get on with. With elderly people she was more at ease and a great favorite from her gentleness and peculiar refinement of thought and manner. But for the most part, during the gay doings of the day, she was left to the attendance of Randolph or Haddon, and no arrangement could have been more to her own liking. Yet one trifling incident occurred to disturb her peace of mind, although she thought she possibly dwelt on it more than the circumstance warranted. She was at a large luncheon party, to which her hostess and guests had alike been invited to meet many other parties from surrounding houses. A grand battu in the park had drawn away most of the sportsmen, and the ladies were lunching almost by themselves. Monica's surprise was somewhat great to find in her right-hand neighbor none other than Cecilia Bellamy, with whom her last interview had been anything but agreeable. Mrs. Bellamy, however, seemed to have forgotten about all that. "'It is really you, Monica. I hoped I should meet you somewhere. I heard you were staying about. I know I've behaved badly. I ought to have written to you when your father died. I was awfully sorry. I was indeed. We were always fond of the Earl, Conrad, and I. He was so good to us when we were children. It was horrid of me not to write, but I never do know how to write a letter of condolence.' "'I hope you're not very angry with me.' "'Indeed, no,' answered Monica. "'Indeed, I never thought about it.' "'I knew you wouldn't care to hear from me,' pursued the lively little woman. "'I didn't behave nicely to you, Monica, "'and I'm sorry now I listened to Conrad's persuasions, "'but I'm so easygoing and thought it all fun. "'I'm sorry now, I really am, "'for I've got shaken in my confidence in Master Conrad. "'I believe he'll go to the dogs still for all his professions.' "'By the by, did you ever see him after you got back to Trevelin? "'Once or twice. I believe he was living in his house down there. "'That dreadful old barn. I can't think how he can exist there. "'He will take to drink and go mad, I do believe, if he stays six months in such a place. "'Monica, I don't want to frighten you. "'I may be silly to think such a thing, but I can't believe he's after any good there.' "'Monica shivered a little instinctively.' "'What do you mean?' "'I don't quite know what I do mean. "'If you weren't such an old friend, of course, I couldn't say a word. "'But you know, perhaps, that there's something rather odd sometimes about Conrad.' "'Odd?' "'Yes, I know he's bad enough. "'But it's when he has his odd fits on that he's worse. "'I don't believe he is always altogether responsible. "'He's given way, and now he can't always help himself, I do think. He isn't mad, of course, but he can be very wild at times. 
and she glanced at her companion with something of significance. "'Why do you say all this to me?' asked Monica with a sort of apprehension. Mrs. Bellamy laughed a little. "'Why, can't you see? Don't you know how he hates your husband?' Monica's face blanched a little. "'But you don't mean—no, no, of course not,' with a short laugh that had little of mirth in it. "'I don't mean anything. Only I think—' If ever Conrad is lurking about in its wild moods that Lord Trevlin had better keep a sharp lookout. Your woods and cliffs are nasty, lonely places, and it's always well to be on the safe side. Monica sat pale and silent. Mrs. Bellamy laughed again in that half-uneasy way. Now, don't look like that and keep your own counsel. I'm a silly woman, as you know, and nobody minds what I say, but I can't be quite comfortable without just warning you for mischief is sometimes done in a moment between two angry men that never can be undone so long as the world lasts. Now, don't go and get frightened, Monica. It may be all a ridiculous fancy, but just keep your eyes open. Thank you, Cecilia, said Monica quietly. I will. End of chapter 19